why Singapore has been successful uh, as a hub uh, in general, being a, a regional financial hub, global trade hub and aviation hub. First, we have a very stable uh, government and political climate. And second, we have a very effective uh, law and regulation. And of course, no corruption is always very key when people want to do business here. But on top of it, we also have other factors like we have a very business-friendly environment, right? very effective administration. And at the same time, we also have a very modern workforce. Although there's uh, issues to tackle that because we have limited resources all the time. right? In addition, we are, Singapore is also in a position that we have no uh, natural disaster. We have very good infrastructure too. Right, be energy, be water, uh, be resources. But most importantly, is connectivity too. Pre-COVID, we used to handle about um, 68.3 million passengers in 2019. During COVID, or the height of COVID, it dropped all the way down to 11.2 million or so, which is really sad in a sense because essentially more than 95% of our passenger flow was gone overnight. You know, we actually pivoted. A lot more obviously, without any passengers. We tried to grow our air freight. Vaccines was the key thing that would actually get us out from this pandemic. And I think Changi Airport, due to its air freight services, its coal chain logistics, was able to handle as a regional distribution hub for the um, COVID vaccine. And actually we were the first Asian transit shipment centre to receive the vaccine and distribute it as far away as New Zealand. So that was our role in trying to actually get through the pandemic and help the um, Asia-Pacific region, part of our contribution, you know, to actually ride and recover from the pandemic. We need to continue to enhance our connectivity within the country itself. So it's fantastic we're investing in 5G. I think that's very important. If 6G is coming or, or new you know, fibre technology broadband, we have to continue to invest to enhance that. But at the same time, to be a hub and connectivity, it's really about connectivity to the region, connectivity to the rest of the world. But we cannot sit on our laurel, we need to continue enhancing it. And this is where Kappa has you know, launched the uh, largest capacity, lowest latency fibre that connects the west coast of US to Singapore directly. And we are not stopping there. We are connected to every continent in the world. And it's always a top destination where anyone wants to build a subsea cable system that serves uh, the region itself. So all these factors actually position Singapore as a very favourable location to create a hub status. For aviation, we don't have a domestic market. It's essentially the competition that um, like the Changi Air Hub will face from um, other air hubs like in the Middle East, even in the region. And the same even for our ports. I think in the region, we are probably second or third in terms of the movement of TEUs. So essentially, we need to maintain that kind of edge or stay ahead of the competition. There'll be ports in the region that are coming up, you know, in Malaysia, Indonesia. So as long as we maintain that ecosystem in that maritime cluster, aviation cluster, financial cluster, right, it's all interconnected, we should be good, but we should not rest on our laurels. We should always be open to further collaboration with our various stakeholders and be open-minded, essentially, to the next wave of disruption or even actually disrupt ourselves. You know, and keeping with the trends before we get disrupted and we lose our businesses. Now.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. The Urban Redevelopment Authority is in the midst of a year-long public engagement exercise to gather ideas and views on Singapore's long-term land use needs and strategies. As part of this long-term plan review, we invite you to take part in the poll. For the audience in the ballroom, please assess the poll via the online platform. The link and QR code can be found on the table stand in front of you. For our online audience, the poll is shown right now on the right side of your screen. This second panel is titled, City, Who Plans? In this panel, speakers will reflect upon the impact and importance of urban planning in Singapore's success as a city-state. Looking forward, speakers will also discuss how to ensure inclusivity and diversity in urban planning processes. This panel will be moderated by Dr. Wu Junjie, Senior Research Fellow in the Governance and Economy Department at the Institute of Policy Studies. He will open the panel discussion and introduce the speakers. May I now invite members of the second panel on stage, please? Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Welcome to panel two, City Who Plans. In this panel, we will explore the various dimensions of urban planning and how this has shaped and continues to shape Singapore's urban landscape. Now, more than simply a matter of designing a city's urban form of physical infrastructure, urban planning fundamentally shapes the social and civic life that it emerges from or is attracted to our city. Uh, it is often within this interplay between urban form and urban life that our planners and architects operate. And as uh, our panel speakers will share with us later as well. So in this panel, I'm deeply honoured to have with us two very eminent speakers who have played key roles in shaping Singapore's urban environment. Our first speaker is Ms. Huang Yuning, Chief Planner and Deputy Chief Executive Office at the Urban Redevelopment Authority. A trainee architect and having received a Master in Public Policy and Urban Planning from Harvard, Yuning has more than two decades of experience as an urban planner and top policymaker. Ms. Huang is currently attending Expo 2020 in Dubai and is hence joining us virtually. Our second speaker is Mr. Xia Chi Huang, Chief Executive Officer of DP Architects. Uh, Chi Huang has 15 years, over 15 years of experience and has played leading roles in designing the Singapore Sports Hub, our Tampines Hub, and the Sembawang Sports and Community Hub. As many of us here will know, these are now thriving hubs of community and civic life. And if I may add on, if you have not watched uh, Chi Huang's TED Talk, I strongly urge all of you to do so tonight on YouTube. Uh, we will begin with opening remarks by each speaker before we move on to the Q&A segment. As in the panel before, we will receive questions online and also in person. Uh, so may I first, without further ado, invite C.P. Huang Yuning to deliver her opening remarks for us. Ms. Huang, please. Hey, good morning, Junjie and Huang and everyone in the ballroom and around the world. Sorry I can't be there with you in person. Um, but um, as Jinjie mentioned, I'm in Dubai right now with the World Expo. So if I may have my slides up. Thank you. 
Yeah, so when we talk about who plans the city, I, I think often we think about urban planners, architects, developers. These people naturally come to mind. And while they do have roles, I would like to highlight the central role that each and every one of us plays in the planning of our city. And we do this not just through our formal feedback, but also informally through our everyday use of the city. And planners try to bring these valuable inputs together uh, into our planning process. If any of us are familiar with this, um, next slide, please. Well, you're familiar with Singapore's uh, urban planning framework and how we systematically try to bring through the long-term plan to the master plan to land sales, development control, to ensure that we not only have a plan for the future, but that this plan gets realized. And at each stage of this process, we try to engage the public, the industry, to ensure we are taking into account feedback from the ground. And we do this via various modalities, such as focus group discussions, exhibitions, ideas, competition, a whole range of different approaches to reach out to a diverse uh, bunch of stakeholders. Next slide. To ensure that our plans on paper come to life, we have formed close partnerships with say the private sector in this case, and uh, each party contributes in different ways. Agencies like the URA lease land through say the government land sales through public tender. And then the private sector brings in their, in a way their entrepreneurship to come up with ideas for the site and government brings in the clarity on the planning parameters, right, the development to ensure consistency in the leasing, etc. So bringing the two parties together, I think we see a lot of uh, good products on the ground. And this is also a way to uh, bring about planning outcomes through the private sector. And there are also different uh, instruments that we use, such as taxes, to ensure efficient use of resources, incentives to achieve planning outcomes, sustainability targets, for example, car light and green building requirements. Next slide, please. Well, some, some examples of how we are using incentives to realize uh, a refresh of the CBD towards a more mixed-use character is the CBD incentive scheme. This scheme incentive, uh, incentivizes older office developments to redevelop into mixed-use developments through the granting of bonus floor area. Next slide, please. We also work closely with our partners to refresh requirements and refine our requirements. For example, here's the landscape, landscaping for urban spaces and high-rises scheme, or LUSH for short. And by now, it's in its uh, third iteration. And this aims to capitalize developments as a means of injecting more greenery into a city by replacing greenery loss from the site. And the different versions of this guidelines and the various improvements was done in close collaboration with private sector partners to factor in more design and maintenance considerations as they implement schemes. So we've seen great success with this. Uh, two out of three of our new residential developments, one out of two new commercial developments are utilizing these incentives. Next slide, please. 
We've also worked with the private sector in place making to activate precincts through the business improvement districts. So this is bringing about the different partnerships. And through this initiative, we're bringing together property owners, business operators, uh, the community to get together and take the lead in the management of their precincts. So in addition to giving stakeholders a greater ownership of their spaces, they can also reap the benefits of greater footfall to the area while enhancing the quality of the experience for people. Next slide, please. Ultimately, at the heart of our plans are people. And our key goal is to support the collective dreams of everyone, both present and future. And through our plans, we hope to synthesize and address the land use needs across generations. Uh, next slide, please. And some of our early approaches, which we still use to gather feedback effectively and bring in different uh, perspectives, include public exhibitions, dialogues, and commissioning different parties to draw plans for selected areas to inject new ideas. This will help shape the plans and provide fresh ideas uh, for discussion. Next slide, please. So for example, um, consultation on the master plan for our iconic Marina Bay actually began as early as the 80s with two different schemes drawn out by renowned architects, uh, Kenzo Tange and uh, I.M. Pei. And while both plans have their merits, Pace plan was eventually chosen as the grid iron concept offered greater planning flexibility. And these ideas were all presented to the public for discussion and debate. Next slide, please. And the plans are also not static because it continues to build on the plants over gen different generations. And uh, you would see from the left to your right that the park space was subsequently enlarged to further iterations in recognition of the importance of having public spaces and a national garden in Marina Bay that could be used and embraced by all Singaporeans. And so eventually the park was enlarged to go around the bay, the Marina Channel, which is home to gardens by the bay today. Next slide. And the plans have ultimately culminated in a variety of attractions and event spaces in and around the bay and it's well used and well loved by many. Next slide, please. And another case of who plans is the park connector. Now this started as a, a idea which was mooted in, in, uh, in the early 90s and gradually gained a lot of popularity over time. Next slide, please. And over time with its popularity, we have continued to sort and strengthen the connectivity uh, between the group, different green spaces, taking in feedback from different groups, which make use of the park connector. And uh, together with MParks, the goal is really to have 100% of households within a 10 minute walk of the parks and park connectors. And this is very much facilitated by this 500 kilometers of park connector island-wide. Next slide, please. And on the blue side, we have the active, clean and beautiful Beautiful and Clean Waters Program, which we have worked with both POB and NPARCs on. And the ABC Waters Program integrates drains, canals, and reservoirs with surrounding areas to create a holistic uh, environment that's enjoyed by the community and offers us an opportunity to leverage on natural ecological systems to enhance and complement engineering solutions. Uh, so uh, you have various examples that you see here. 
Next slide, please. And in planning for people, we also face many challenges, in particular with our limited land spaces. Through various partnerships with both agencies and uh, different sectors, we work together to experiment and actively engage the public to understand their needs. And here are some examples of innovation typologies that not only optimize land, but also serve our residents better. So uh, on your left is the uh, Tampanese, or Tampanese Hub, which is uh, done by Chi Huang. He can talk a little bit more about it later. But this type of integrated hub, uh, early experiments started with a well-loved example like the Marine Parade CC and Library, and ultimately culminated in this. And the experiments and, and typology continues with new projects in Pongo, in Sembawang, etc. And on your right, uh, sorry, just now on your right was the um, Kampong Admiralty. And again, this was a successful experiment and led to the recently released uh, UT integrated development. Next slide, please. And another example of success, uh, begetting success is uh, a well-loved marina barrage, which contributes to water supply in uh, creating a reservoir as well as flood control, a tidal gate, and a, a lifestyle attraction as well. Everyone knows how popular this is. And uh, next slide, you'll see this, that this typology led to the Keppel Marina East desalination plant, which similarly strengthens our water supply resilience with its ability to treat both fresh and seawater and serving as a public access space for the community within East Coast Park. Next slide. An evolution of our planning process with the public is always about trying to engage and getting new insights and new inputs and finding out how people are reacting and, and uh, using our spaces. So to deepen our public consultation, we've also tried to bring in stakeholders earlier into our planning process uh, and reach out to different platforms and to expand new ways of reaching out to different people to bring the community and it's not just about bringing community to public exhibitions, but over time, we've also uh, experimented with bringing the community on site visits so that they can understand some of the ground challenges that we are facing. And I think in the earlier panel, we also heard from Kunhei how we are also bringing different uh, stakeholders groups together so that they are also hearing from each other because that's very valuable as well for people to understand that different people have different perspectives and they are using uh, the spaces differently and they have different aspirations for the spaces. Next slide, please. Well, the rail corridor is a good example of how we try to co-create with the community. And uh, next slide, the rail corridor is a 24 km kilometer long, <coughs> sorry, a former railway corridor that lines both, uh, stretches from north to south. And uh, you have about a million people living right next to these spaces. So this was a very unique opportunity for us to design and transform the rail corridor with the community into a public space. Next slide. Both broad-based and targeted engagement processes for approach adopted as approaches in engaging the community. And a significant first step was also forming an informal kind of partnership 
of the government to seek views from experts as well as others who are passionate about the rail corridor. And this partnership eventually evolved with uh, responsibilities looking at reviewing ideas and different proposals from the public to inform the design specifications for the rail corridor. And we also did a lot of different types of uh, outreach events like um, ideas competition, websites to gather feedback, speaking with the community through focus group, etc. And it's really about trying to bring in all the different perspectives to envision what is the future of the rail corridor. Next slide, please. And in developing that compelling vision and comprehensive plan, it was about balancing the needs of the public, aspiration for a public space with, and with the need to kind of balance the development potential of this land that was returned to Singapore. And through this journey, we worked hand in hand with many parties to conceptualize and eventually map out the master plan to crystallize the vision and aspirations of uh, various parties. Well, next slide, please. Now, how we plan through informal uh, inputs. As mentioned earlier, we don't just uh, take in formal inputs from feedback platforms. All of us are informing the planning through the way we use our city. And we have been trying to gather a lot more of this data, whether it's looking at how people are using different amenities, how people are traveling, etc. And these insights help us better plan to, uh, the Singapore. So for example, newer, younger towns may require more childcare support. And likewise, uh, older towns may require more senior-friendly activities and spaces. And travel data helps us understand the transportation needs and how to plan our land users better to complement these. Next slide, please. And there are also opportunities for us to crowdsource information to inform planning, uh, including using social media. So this is an example next slide, of wanting to strengthen, uh, for instance, people's appreciation of our historic districts. So we started out with the question, uh, where is Chinatown? Where is Chinatown in, in people's mind? And where do people associate Chinatown with? Next slide. So other than conducting surveys, and just now you saw uh, China, Chinatown has like four precincts. Other than conducting surveys, we analyze social media posts to see where are people associating Chinatown with. For this scan, we use um, the hashtag Chinatown and see which are the locations people are tagging. Next slide, please. And from this scan, we see that a lot of people associate Kriya, uh, your, your top uh, left-hand corner, with uh, Chinatown and other areas like Angsim Hill, um, are kind of less associated with Chinatown. So this kind of tells us where people associate Chinatown, how can we reinforce where we want, uh, we hope people would know where Chinatown is. Are we able to put up storyboards related to Chinatown, say in Angsiang Hill, to give people the idea that Angsiang Hill is also part of the larger Chinatown uh, story, for instance. Next slide, please. Now, looking forward, our planning process must and will continue to evolve to adapt to more complex situations. And the current pandemic poses many challenges, but also opportunities for Singapore. 
And we are seeing, seeing some of the trends unfolding. Question for us is, will these trends un, uh, stick? For example, will remote working persist or will we evolve into a more hybrid work style? And while we, we may not have all the answers at the moment, I think some of our recent initiatives suggest we are evolving in the right direction. For example, the shift towards a more mixed use uh, city center. Uh, for example, our decentralization strategy, which would support working near homes. Next slide, please. And with an increasingly uncertain future, as part of our ongoing long-term plan, our planning process has to evolve as well. So instead of uh, focusing on a possible future, we are catering to a range of possible futures while remaining uh, guided by shared vision for Singapore. So to, to develop robust plans to allow us to do so, it is more important than ever for us to continue to collaborate with the uh, public sector, with the private uh, people sector rather, and with the private sector to strengthen our partnerships with the different sectors. Next slide, please. And our ongoing long-term plan review public engagement is one of the most extensive that we've ever done. And it's a sustained engagement effort. And we've tried to reach out through uh, focus group discussions, online polls, workshops, through various social media platforms. And the in-depth conversations have been really useful to bring together people from whole walks of life and for everyone to hear from each other. So we have people from uh, general public, the youth, educators, academics, business representatives, uh, NGOs, self-help groups, etc. And uh, it's just been great to hear from different people and to see a lot of um, balance in views and to hear and to see that people are receptive to hearing the views of each other and to forge a way forward for Singapore. So we hope you will continue to join us on this journey and as we continue to engage the public. And um, next slide, please. And as we explore new and better ways of working together, we will partner our stakeholders to see how to better realize the plans. Next slide, please. And as a city state with limited land and space, we will continue to try and see how we can capitalize on some of the big moves that are happening. So our plans to relocate Pile Labor Air Base. We've also brought in uh, the Singapore Institute of Architects and Singapore Institute of Planners to work on uh, different ideas, NUS to work on different ideas for the area. And uh, the relocation of city terminals we are also going to be engaging everyone to work on different ideas for the area and to distill what is the vision that people have for these areas. Next slide, please. And like the Singapore Green Plan, our plans are living documents, uh, which will continue to evolve as we work together on it. So no, uh, no plan is a perfect plan for instance. And for sure, we are continuing to review and reshape it as we go along and take in new inputs and as things unfold on the ground. So next slide. And to summarize, well, singles planning is really a collaboration of our planners, our agency partners with the entrepreneurship of the private sector and the aspirations of the people who work and play in Singapore. And moving forward, this collaboration with the crucial element of our planning process, and for sure, it will continue to evolve 
to include an increasingly greater uh, range of voices as exemplified in our ongoing long-term plan review. I'll stop here, Jinjie, and back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Yuning. And the questions are coming in fast and furious. But before we go on to that segment, may I now invite Mr. Xia Xu Huang to deliver his opening remarks? Xu Huang, please. Thank you, Jinjie. <coughs> and, uh, sorry. <coughs> and, <coughs> sorry about it. And thank you, uh, Yuning. Um, so, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Pleasure to be here to share my thoughts on this subject of who plans. Just uh, start off with qualification. It was very interesting when I was looking through Yuning's slides. So she has a lot of city plans, maps. I have to say, I have almost no maps and no plans. Uh, and um, and I, I would say that today's uh, sharing is really coming from uh, probably the role uh, as myself as an architect. I was uh, sharing with uh, Junjie when I took on this subject. I mean, city who plans? When you talk about policy uh, making, architects are not really involved. Uh, but one of the key roles that architects we do play is uh, negotiating and working through the different policies, rules and regulations, uh, translate them into something tangible in form and spaces for us to not just visualize but spatialize for the users. So and, uh, in early forums and uh, all these panel discussions, it is clear that we see how Singapore has succeeded as a global city and city-state. And it's not just through our modern past, geographical, and people's endowment. It's also, the, these are the elements that have made us, in uh, Minister Taman's word, a nation that is not meant to be, a miracle and possibility for many other cities today. So without a doubt, this achievement is due to the meticulous planning by the government and its agencies. And uh, so this question of city who plans is perhaps rhetorical in the context of Singapore. Um, however, uh, it is also clear that as our city advances into more complex schema of uh, social schema of things, the planning approach and this idea of public, private and people dynamics have and will constantly evolve. Uh, one very clear shift is the enactment of the Land Acquisition Act in 1966 to what Yuning shared about this extensive outreach in our long-term plan review currently. It really reflects clearly this evolution, be it in the form of uh, our city or in mind and psyche as a society that supports greater diversity and seeks higher level of inclusivity. So hence the question, using uh, Dr. Chong's method, architects like to change the question. It's, not, it's less so about who plans the city, but really for whom and with whom that we are planning for. So, and we can argue um, here in terms of, uh, in Singapore's case for our Singapore's urban planning, that it has actually taken a more inclusive lens. The Singapore Green Plan 2030 posits wider inter-ministerial agencies' co cooperation towards the common agenda of long-term sustainability. And in the considerations of uh, new economies... Uh, next slide, please. Yes, thank you. Uh, one more? Yeah, okay, great. All right. Uh, for in terms of uh, not just... I talk about new economies, civic education, job creation, 
idea of modes of transport, even notion of urban spaces, technology. The Green Plan promises an acute vision for all to embrace. Yet we know the ambition and the success of such national initiatives are still dependent on its people. And here, allow me to discuss the potential of uh, harnessing this people quotient uh, that in two cases that I feel have catalyzed and shaped planning and design. Uh, one, public sector led, the other, private sector. And in these cases, how this idea of an engaged citizenry through participatory design and advocacy in planning and design processes have actually produced quite unique and extraordinary outcomes in giving more inclusive, sustainable urban solutions and perhaps lay the groundwork for future planning approach and endeavors. Okay. So, as renowned urbanist Jean Jacobs concurred, our spatial environment is ultimately a shared resource by everybody. So the new normal in planning, perhaps that we hope to derive, is one where all the stakeholders can exercise their individual agencies in a collaborative partnership to achieve common goals of not just vibrancy, livability, and of course, long-term sustainability. And um, a domain where engaged citizenry has been integrated is arguably, and what Yuning has shared, this uh, new typology of integrated community hubs that I have the uh, benefit to work on a number of them. So this public sector-led projects can also be regarded as a greater investment in the public-people partnership. Uh, besides space and services, the processes of developing such partnerships shift away from the past ones of a more prescriptive approach towards one that empowers to bring the different elements and forces within the site and the people together to build both economic and social capitals. And community architecture, like uh, our Tampanese hub, Kampong Amrati, Hubbit at Badok, uh, the new Pongo Town Hub, and the upcoming Bukit Canberra. All this aim to provide equity and accessibility to a wide range of facilities, such as community, sports, recreational, food, and healthcare. So, integrating various national and community stakeholders under one single development may seem as a literal trope for a whole-of-government approach to foster greater collaboration between various stylos. Uh, yet, this social condenser champions resource optimization, productivity through shared urban and social economics by integrating multiple facilities under one roof with a strong emphasis on building social capital. And this is often done through extensive participation and residence engagement. I'll give an example of the case of our Tampanese Hub. I thought this picture speaks more about uh, the space uh, rather than the actual building itself. It's uh, the level of discussion, conversations, and the sharing of the joy and excitement it brings for different groups of the residents in different nuances and areas of the spaces. So here, we work with uh, People's Association and 11 other agencies to reach out to the residents of Tampanis through a wide array of channels to ensure that their needs, opinions were all documented 
and acted upon. So within a year, OTH engaged 15,000 residents in the participatory design process and all the numerous focus interest groups there were uh, block parties and even parties by floor when we engaged the residents uh, and multiple roadshows, online platforms in terms of outreach. Again, this was managed by an engagement committee with uh, close to 900 grassroots leaders and volunteers. So the process helped disseminate not just information, but with feedbacks that actually shaped the architectural and the spatial outcome. So what I just showed earlier were actual iterations of uh, the entire development over the course of the engagement. And subsequently, further to this, more forms of engagement followed from the design of specific spaces, the programming activities, furniture and even the logo, and thus deriving a greater sense of ownership and encouraging more stewardship of the community. Uh, so earlier, you saw the outcome, uniquely high footfall, close to 17 million uh, pre-COVID and just slightly less uh, during even the last two years. And what was also interesting, a greater level of multiracial mix and participation, as well as enriched and unique experiences. This is just showing a facet of it. I think it's not just the celebrity part, but the whole idea of a, a passing out parade and even the whole notion of a fireworks for an NDP parade outside city centre. These were uh, opportunities of how such process, in terms of even upon the completion of buildings and sites, continue to enrich and be uh, aspects of the everyday memories and life. And in this case, what is really unique is that uh, by integrating the perception, crowdsourcing ideas of how spaces use, we effectively forge through the space and form and the programs an emotional connection between people and place. So ultimately, is this idea of a deeper sense of belonging through building ideas collectively beyond dialogue to co-creation. And participatory design shapes the unique conditions that allow the development of the integrated hubs from scale, plot ratios, to programmatic mix Parameters that is typically controlled by uh, agencies or planning departments. And in fact, the success behind this multi-channel process of engaging various user groups lies in balancing social, political, economic and environmental conditions determined not just by the state here, but also multiple stakeholders, architects and more importantly, by, with and for the people. And increasingly, participatory design processes, as what Yuning has shared, is already incorporated in the rejuvenation of many projects island-wide. I think we can see a lot of that in the, in the revitalization of mature estate, expounding this synergistic process at larger neighborhood and district level. And what is interesting, and yet uh, to be seen in terms of opportunities and excitement, are the design of new towns, and especially the ones that Yuning shared in future housing sites like the port terminals and Greater Southern Waterfront. Our society is sophisticated enough to allow and harness the potential of many. And I want to use this example, uh, an internationally lauded uh, one of participatory design, which is uh, South Korea's capital community building program. The Seoul 2030 plan, equivalent somewhat to our concept plan, takes part citizen participation to the next level. 
So they prioritized bottom-up process, active engagement was a norm for all plans. And beyond documenting and acting upon inputs, the planning programs emphasized on capabilities building and educate the communities to make informed decisions. So more than engagement, it's an empowerment. And for this, rightfully, the city was conferred uh, the Lee Kuan Yew World, Prize, World City Prize in 2018. Moving the lens to the private sector urban development, and uh, as uh, PM Lee said in the 2019 National Day Rally, on each new generations will leave their mark on our city as their predecessors have done. So we have to also acknowledge in the past five decades of public-led city building, private sector participation has been key in supporting the larger urban transformation in terms of vision and in terms of form, which helps turn urban governance and policy making into the city-state that we find so endearing. And uh, one of the key parts uh, in terms of what URA has also played in roles is the engagement of more of the public's, private sector stakeholders as well as general public uh, in varying degrees over the years. So Yuning have shared uh, from the earlier days of uh, the GLS, which I think some can argue uh, could also be even the very start of this public-private partnership in 1967, while the nation is looking at expediting urban renewal in city centre. So there were the white sites, the two tender, uh, two-envelope two tender systems, and of course, what Yuning mentioned in terms of the CBDI, the SDI schemes that encourage strategically the transformation and redevelopment of older private sector development in areas to turn them to multiple use to help rejuvenate and positively transform surrounding environments. However, the question with the launch of the long-term plan review uh, remains whether or not the same levels of success and participatory process can be replicated in a primarily private stakeholders' development. And this notion of uh, engaged citizenry in such a case seems a lot more challenging and sometimes conflicting. For that to be achieved, the private and public sector have to buy into a more evolved market model perhaps of shared economies, one that breeds synergistic collaboration, generates social economic value, and possibly even a planning matrix that measures the value of synergy and social capital in relation to nation growth. And on, on that note, I would like to share a successful uh, example of engaged citizenry and urban advocacy in a private development some and many of us will find familiar. And that is through the recent conservation of the Golden Mile Complex <coughs> proposed by URA uh, in October 2020 and gazetted a year later. And it was by no mean, mean, uh, it was by no mean fit for URA to weigh the myriad of considerations between public, private stakeholders, building owners, heritage group, interest group, especially what this entails as case precedent for other aging, large, strata-titled, modern developments. Many have expressed excitement, uh, jubilation at this announcement because it's a major milestone for the architectural heritage and conservation in Singapore. However, the significance goes beyond the preservation of this architectural landmark 
of its precedence it sets. Uh, it offers an insight into Singapore and Singaporeans' ethos for the future. So from the widespread interest, appeal letters, online forums, exhibition, active discussion, Golden Mile Complex has enlightened ground-up advocacy and meaningful discourse for what we want our living environment to be representative of our values as a society. And this sense of interest and empathy towards conservation and adaptive reuse of our built heritage reflects a parallel sentiment of preserving identity and social memories, as well as a projection into a more responsible and greener possibilities of development in future city planning. And the potential of engaged citizenry to drive positive change and new uh, potential in our urban planning, as Yuning has also sh shared earlier, is seen in the recent commission of the Singapore Institute of Architects and Singapore Institute of Planners to propose two concept master plan for the 800 hectares of Pai Leba Air Base for novel ideas of future leaf work, play and innovation. And this uh, public-private sector collaboration initiated by individual, uh, independent professional organisation recalls the 1989 uh, engagement of SIA to work on five of the 55 uh, development guide plans for the master plan. And it's a partnership approach that brings refreshed ideas to the Singapore urban planning to give greater voice to alternative views in the future planning discourse. This strategic moves to grant GMC conservation status and SIA-SIP, the concept master plan, are clear recognition of the people's aspiration to be more involved in the city plannings and urban transformation as we pivot towards a more equitable, inclusive, sustainable future. They also offer our maturing and largely brownfield city refresh dimension for assessing values and trade-offs. They may not entail a more expedient pace of development, but certainly a more discursive, emotionally connected and culturally rooted one. That perhaps is what Singapore and Singaporean truly needs. And uh, the act of reforming the environment is a social process. So in so doing, we create powerful conditions to connect diverse communities, to learn from and inspire one another in this shared journey of possibilities that will benefit both the people and our city and actually the world. Over the 50 years of uh, urban legacy, I think we have successfully established strong imageability of our city as we embark in the next phase of our urban transformation, moving from the focus of form, perhaps to uh, depth of substance, the need for more diverse and inclusive means of citizenry engagement and even citizenry intelligence becomes more integral, not just to shape our vision, decision-making, but really our identity-shaping process as a state. So, to author different future possibilities, planning initiatives, as Yuning shared, must be a consultative and a collaborative process between public, private and people agencies to determine strategies and actions forward. As our civil service become more sophisticated, we are ready for deeper partnership in the planning of our city-state. Ultimately, our city reflects social ideals and the value system of our people. 
in empowering and engaged citizenry through deepening participatory design and engendering wider urban advocacy, we can co-create productive, meaningful outcomes that not only meet our future needs as a country, but also our aspiration as a nation. So who better to plan our inclusive, sustainable and enduring future? Thank you. Thank you, Xu Huang. Uh, it is striking to me that in our presentations we have listened to, there is this very strong overarching focus on people, on the citizens, perhaps surprisingly, and in a panel on urban planning. And so it is with the questions. There is a strong focus on people, on the process of engaging the private sector. So I'm going to dive right in. And before I do that, uh, if there are any questions from the floor, please raise your hands and somebody will come to you with a microphone. So let me just pick on a question from our online platform. So this is an anonymous question, but it is the highest voted question so far. There is a great emphasis on public engagement in urban planning, such as with nature groups, heritage groups, and some of these discussions can become highly politicized. How do we ensure that the government can continue to make sound and objective decisions, notwithstanding strong vested interests? Uh, so perhaps we could, uh, perhaps Yuning, you could go first. Hey, Gigi, uh, thanks for the question. Um, I think it's trying to bring different voices together to hear from different perspectives. For sure, the interest group, because they are interest groups, they will have specific areas of advocacy that they want to push for. And what we need to do is try to bring in balanced perspectives to hear from the rest of the community, as well as uh, to try and take a science-based approach because ultimately, Singapore, we are very constrained in the land resources that we have, in uh, the different needs that we have. And uh, if we take a more evidence-based, a more science-based approach, then that would go some ways to trying to weigh the different possibilities to try and prioritize some of the different needs and uh, hopefully to reach a, a sound decision end of the day. Uh, but I do feel strongly that it's important for the different groups to have an opportunity to hear from each other and to see what are all the different challenges and needs that we face uh, as a community, as a nation. Thanks. Yeah, I thought it was a question for the government. So maybe I will come from the private sector point of view. Um, I think as, as Yuning shared, uh, earlier, the question was about interest group. And to start, if diverse interest group comes together, uh, the first, I would say, critical issue is probably to come to a common ground. Uh, and uh, I think this idea of a common ground is key, not just in terms of providing a platform for empathy, but it's also uh, uh, a kind of vehicle to share and negotiate and assess um, these aspects of value. So Yuning shared about a science-based approach. I think uh, that is definitely something sound. But what is interesting on top of that is the discussion of uh, values. So and I think when a group comes together, after everybody airs out your own point of view, then it's quite important in terms of a leadership perspective to establish in terms of these larger sets of uh, uh, value sets, what probably contributes to the good of the greater whole. I think that's uh, probably a process that will be helpful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, 
if, uh, as a reminder, if there are any questions from the floor, please feel free to raise your hands. And before we go in, uh, into the, the following questions from the online platform, there is a question that has been, I've been mulling over. And given that we are still in the tail end of, of a global pandemic, we are facing massive potential disruptions from climate change. As planners, how do you, um, how, how do you manage these potential risks and threats that we face in the future? Uh, certainly, things like urban density has become a bit of a double-edged sword. But a city without urban density could not possibly thrive as well. So how has that changed the way we approach planning parameters, planning spaces for you, Chihuang? So perhaps, Chihuang, you could start first this time around? Sure. Um, of course, I think Yuning will be, again, the expert here. Perhaps from uh, uh, architect looking at the opportunities in terms of, uh, of urban planning, and the notion of density. I think uh, one of Singapore's most successful uh, planning, I would say, intervention and innovation is how we manage and curate and organize density. And in fact, if I use density as the very gain component, it's actually to look at it perhaps, I would say, in three ways. Uh, first, uh, this dimension of uh, from area to something volumetric, uh, because it itself is a three-dimensional kind of concept. Then this idea of time, and maybe later I'll touch on this notion of index. So in terms of volumetric, uh, as Yuning has shared, more and more so in the way uh, heightened also by the awareness of the pandemic, I think this concept of space uh, is no longer something that we see on plan, measured, looking at optimizing per square meters suddenly you're aware that there's a dimension of volume when it comes to health of the building, the lights that we get in, the, the quality of the space in terms of its permeability, its kind of uh, porosity. So uh, if you look at this and magnify this concept of space further from an urban perspective, that's potentially the way we can look at better curating, designing and organizing our density. So of course, comes with that, it's also what Yuning shared in terms of what we are already championing as a city, the three-dimensional organizations of component. And that comes with careful thinking of how we create various diverse components, which likely signifies different user groups within a whole, kind of, uh, a whole complete, say, a space or, or development. And therein lies, again, the opportunity for us to also inject uh, the ideas of commons the notion of spaces, the notions of equity, the distribution of public goods and shared resources. So I do think density in terms of looking at it from three-dimensional and this notion of health will, will help. The notion of time, again, it's a factor that is useful in the larger scheme of things. Uh, in Singapore's case, urban context, I think be it from transport to even latest talking about park space, there's this idea of 10 minutes. And uh, interestingly, it's quite different from each city. I always attribute that in Singapore, we walk a bit faster. All right. This idea of 10 minutes can also be uh, uh, extended as a concept of self-sufficiency. Idea of 10 minutes, not just in terms of walkability, potentially in the way we create a 10 minutes community and even uh, curate the possibility of 10 minutes uh, economies. Uh, so with that, uh, the potential of how we use time uh, to allow us to better organize and distribute components so that even during the most extreme condition, uh, we can still function well, effectively, uh, as a community and social cluster. 
Last but not least, I think the very important thing to communicate uh, to oneself <coughs> is this idea of uh, index. And uh, this is bringing the personal dimension uh, to, to play. I think the pandemic allows us and challenge fundamental planning concept where we start from macro all the way to micro. Uh, because suddenly we are aware this idea of a one-minute distance. And that very denominator starts from you and me. And uh, it brings back this uh, notion of a people-centered, and in fact, it was, uh, I think, Edward T. Hall in his book of Hidden Dimension that talks about this proxemics, uh, the awareness of intimate space, personal space, social space. And uh, I think the whole conception and for us to look at planning from the individual uh, person denominator to a functioning social group and a larger community group will probably bring fresh ways that we look at how we can better organize ourselves to address some of these issues. Thank you. Hey, Jinjie. Uh, so, Chi Huang actually gave a very comprehensive response. Uh, I'm not sure I have that much uh, <laughs> added points on urban density. Um, but suffice to say that for sure, we are always trying to balance this notion of density and the benefits it can bring with the overall impact on people and the environment. So it's really about trying to create a, a good quality environment that people can enjoy. Uh, but maybe since Chihuahua has already answered urban density quite comprehensively, I just <laughs> want to pop back to the earlier question and this notion of uh, values. I, I think Chihuahua also brought up a very useful point that values is, is certainly something that we want to in a way, come to a common understanding on when we do plans. And for the long-term plan, uh, very much part of the first phase of conversation in gathering, whether it's the surveys, the workshops and all that, is trying to distill what are people's you know, common values and aspirations for Singapore. And, and there's a lot of convergence actually around the notion of sustainability, inclusiveness, and adaptability for Singapore. So values is certainly something that is important in putting forth and drawing up a plan, uh, be it for anywhere. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Yuning. Uh, we do have a top-voted question on online platform. Uh, it has received 21 votes. And the question goes as such. We often talk about what has worked well in planning over the years. Uh, are there instances where we have not done as well or where, where there have been challenges that we had to overcome to improve our plans and to learn from these challenges? Well, maybe I can uh, start off and Chi Hong can add on. Um, I think ultimately plans and planning, we have to recognize the plan would always have challenges and issues. The plan is for something in the future. And the future is constantly evolving and dynamic, uh, which is why we put in place a very regular review of our plans. Every five years for a master plan, at least once in 10 years for the long-term plan. And I often tell people that, you know, ultimately the, the strength of the plan is not the plan itself, but it is the process of planning. It is the process of bringing different voices together, hearing from different perspectives, taking time to look at 
what are some of the trends on the horizon and how they could uh, impact and influence the way we use land, what are the adjustments we need to make. And the horizon of time allows us that opportunity to make some very large moves. Uh, two quick example, the move of the city port. You know, it's something that needs to be planned way ahead, like the Tuas port is still under construction. So take some time for that and the Pasir Panjang terminal to be ready to take over the volume from the city terminals, for instance. Pileba Air Base, another huge move uh, that takes many years to prep the replacement facilities, etc. Uh, so we want the plan and the planning process in order to give us that time and space to do so. And in terms of what doesn't work, so often actually there will be things that are not perfect in the plan that we will need to go back and revisit and adjust. And that is why we are uh, always trying to hear from the ground and try to figure out what are some of the challenges that people are facing in their neighborhoods, in their residential areas, for instance, that could be improved in the next version of the plan or when we develop or sell sites what are some of the amenities that we can introduce to strengthen the provision for the area? And uh, in the recent pandemic, as we've seen, our neighborhoods are actually generally very uh, convenient for people in terms of having access to a whole variety of things, whether it's your supermarkets, your eateries, your hawker centers, etc. But the, for instance, an area that we didn't think as much of uh, or provided as much of, I would say, is this facilities for working near home. Because not every person can work from home, even when they can do a virtual working. Uh, but there wasn't, in the past, there wasn't such a strong need to provide workspaces that are near people's residential areas. Uh, but you do see some of the community facilities like the community centers stepping up to provide some of these workspaces for people who can't really work from home. Uh, even some of the RCs have put their spaces into play for people to use. So this is probably one area that we want to strengthen going forward. And uh, I'm sure there are many other areas that we're constantly trying to review and, and tweak as well. Thank you, Yuni. Mm. And uh, you know, this notion of plan, you really understand the root word is actually about making, is this idea of decision. So as, as Yuning said, uh, and it has that element of also forward projecting. And uh, I would say the important aspects of it that comes with it in terms of action will be with certain sets of assumptions uh, that kind of address conditions that uh, you have imagined. Uh, and I would say there's no 100% or any plans that can get things 100% right. So uh, that space to allow... Uh, the evaluation and some of the further refinement and adjustment of plans, I think number one, as Yuning shared, is, is key. And perhaps this ability in terms of future planning and planning of be it city of our spaces to add in more elements of uh, not just agility, elasticity, but perhaps certain notion of redundancy. It was quite funny, I was at a forum. I said that hey, we should really look at this idea of uh, purposeful redundancy. And what the pandemic has taught us is when everything is highly optimized, you don't have any threshold to respond to change. So it didn't work very well with the private developer. So, uh, but 
I think probably at this forum is from a more correct one. <laughs> and, uh, but I thought one of the other aspects that is highly key besides this, uh, this part on adaptability uh, and this notion of elasticity in our planning is actually looking, uh, is a, perhaps again from my role, how do we personalize policy or humanize it in terms of communication? I think one uh, example <clears throat> is that, okay, I, I always thought about this and something I thought, wow, it'd be interesting to share. GPR, gross plot ratio. But we also know GPR also have this element of green plot ratio. I think one of the 2030 uh, part of the green plan is to allow close to 0 0.8 hectares of uh, park space for 1,000 packs. So when you translate that, it's talking about every person, there's eight square meters. I think UN is recommending nine, so we are working towards that, that's good. But the very important thing is that when you use, let's say, that's what the, I said the pandemic taught us, when you place the person as the point of reference, then you can start to understand policy. Oh, what does this idea of that uh, extensive area of park space uh, in terms of our land mass, I think it's equivalent to 9% of Singapore's total land mass, means to me as part of the citizen. And to push this further, this idea of 8 square meter per person green or accessible green, apply it to look at district, cities, towns, and even development. Then you can start to uh, develop a matrix again that you can personally connect with and understand maybe one of this index of livability and equity. So it is a very powerful, uh, we, we have good measures, it's just the way of communication uh, to allow better understanding of uh, the, the translation of these values in space and form, perhaps could be uh, better improved. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Xu Hong. And I think your points, uh, both of your points, lead us to a, a, a further set of questions. That there's a lot of interest in a more inclusive approach to urban planning. I'm going to paraphrase a few questions because they are somewhat addressing similar issues, but dealing with very different sort of constituencies. Uh, so the main, the gist of the, the, this broad cluster of questions is such. How, we have talked a lot about uh, public consultation in the planning process. How do we consult those who are not able or not willing to, 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 to engage with the planners? This could include uh, the wildlife, biodiversity, could include children, elderly population, or people who simply are not tapped into these processes. I think this speaks to an understanding that the city is a little bit less homogenous, more diverse, with many more stakeholders than we realize. So we can reach out to a certain subset. What about those who we have not been able to or who are not willing to step forward? How do we account for the spatial needs, the, the, the needs of the city? Uh, you think? Well, uh, JJ, yeah, I can make a stab at it. Um, well, I think for the uh, human human people, there, there are ways to engage and we do tap on some of these ways. For instance, surveys, we try to have a, a representative sampling of the survey so that we make sure we reach out to these people. We don't just wait for people to come to the website and respond to the online surveys, but we actually try to commission surveys to reach out to representative samples. We also try to work with different um, NGOs to reach their, their beneficiaries so that we hear from a wider cross-section of people. Uh, for the long-term plan, for instance, we also try to have 
some of our sessions in, in different vernacular language to try and reach out to a different segment of the population as well. And uh, also through the youth leaders, we try to reach out to the youth through their own uh, channels. So we try to broaden the engagement for the human <laughs> subjects in that sense to, to make sure we reach as diverse and representative a range of our population as possible. Uh, for the, the other non-speaking subjects like your wildlife, biodiversity, it, it has to start with a survey and a science-based approach uh, to try and figure out what's there on the ground. And then through that, try to inform the way that we uh, consider the planning of the area. Thanks. Yeah, so I agree with uh, Yuning, uh, at least for the wildlife uh, aspects or in her words, the, the living but non-human kind of uh, inputs. I think besides, uh, of course, advocates in terms of some of this interest group, uh, a science-based approach will probably be the most uh, sensible uh, in terms of assessing, again, what are some of the challenges, uh, opportunities or trade-offs. Uh, but on the human aspects, I would say it depends on the depth uh, of the level of uh, granularity that we want to get our inputs. Again, uh, just to share earlier, I touched on uh, the, the examples of uh, our Tampanese hub. So it was already set out as a bold statement that we want to make sure all the 250,000 residents in Tampanese in one way or another will know or get uh, information or access or give their inputs about this uh, development. So, and the cross-section, the, the entire landscape of uh, outreach was, the array was really quite, quite, I would say, <laughs> mental. Because it started with uh, roadshows. We have close to 11 roadshows in scale. So in terms of person engagement. And then I mentioned about focus group, interest group, then there were uh, block parties earlier I mentioned, and even by floors. So there were engagement that was very specific, strategic, and purposeful to uh, also help to categorize concerns and some of the anxieties. And of course, on the um, a digital platform, there were also extensive uh, vehicles, be it Facebook, tweets, uh, websites, or social media. And last but not least, the ever-old trusting newsletter. So that will make sure that it reach every household. So that's the, the depth. Uh, and I think this notion of sample size, the depth of survey is something quite key. Uh, because uh, when we say engagement or survey, it's uh, always seen already as a form of outreach. But uh, we all know uh, the, the form of uh, out, uh, the form of in terms of conversation, the, the quality and the level of this exchange very much is in itself uh, a science and, and an art. Thank you. And I want now to pick on a question that is perhaps a little bit of a departure from what we've been talking about. And this question is really about urban heritage. So Jen Lee asks, besides preserving our past for heritage, how do we go about preserving the present for our future heritage? As Singapore is a young country, a young city-state, and we are still in the process of nation-building, process of memory-making, heritage-making. So how do we decide what to conserve at different uh, junctures in time? Uh, 
Perhaps Yuning, you could kick us off. Yeah, JJ, thanks. Um, uh, what we try to do in terms of uh, conservation is try to capture buildings from different eras, representative buildings. And we do so uh, not just within URA, but we also work with different stakeholders and heritage experts, as well as the community to understand what are the buildings that are important to people. And we also look at um, over years, there have been you know, various awards that are given to buildings, say uh, President's Design Award, Singapore Institute of Architects Design Award, et cetera, to also pick out strong examples of design. Uh, but beyond design, it's also about how people resonate with the buildings. So we also try to understand what is important to different stakeholder groups, and which is why we collaborate with the National Heritage Board as well to understand this part of it and secure inputs. And for sure, urban heritage can be done in different ways. It's not always that um, preserving the whole building is the only avenue. There can be other avenues as well to remember the use of the site, to remember what was there, whether it is through uh, recalling the previous building on the site in the new building or doing heritage storyboards uh, or documenting the building. There are different possibilities as well. And uh, as a young nation, we do want to make sure we are in a way uh, keeping some of these important buildings in our nation building, which is uh, why the Golden Mall Complex was conserved. But there will be other buildings like uh, the Jurong Town Hall building, which is also very important that has been conserved. There's uh, other buildings that are also important as part of our uh, national kind of identity and heritage that we also want to keep. So it's, it's a continuous process. As, as time moves forward, we uh, you know must look back on the recent past to make sure we still uh, are keeping in sight what are the recent buildings that are emerging as important, both in terms of their heritage value to the community and also in terms of the quality of design. And it, it has to be a continuous process. Thanks. Thank you, Yuning. And perhaps to add to what uh, Yuning shared, um, I would say for the ongoing present heritage, it really starts from this form of conversation. Again, um, and uh, I think what is uh, quite critical in terms of how we assess values, and that's what Yuning highlighted, um, I'm personally quite encouraged by uh, the, the shifts in terms of the President Design Award, just to use that as an example. Because I think last few years, it was updated to measure impact, not just in terms of qualities of design, aesthetics outlook, but uh, there's a strong social and larger sustainable component within it. And I think perhaps the way for us to move forward to understand the heritage is to establish our own sense of impact as a society. And Golden Mount Complex is special, of course, as an architect, it's also a project from DP's founders. It has that added dimension uh, and, and that quality. But very important, what uh, it also signifies is the zeitgeist, is that spirit of the time, 
nation building and the association with the, the, the arts movement during that period of time, the music, fashion, uh, the, the whole society, the psyche. I think this uh, a whole enriched, very complex but kind of exciting point of impact that we can again establish uh, as a society and nation moving forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. And this is an interesting point because when we think about conservation, we tend to take a retrospective approach. We understand backwards. These are the buildings that meant something to a generation that came before us. And just a, a, as a very quick question, at this point, how would you identify the Zeitgeist? What, what are the, some of the buildings or spaces we have that reflect the current Zeitgeist, if we could identify that at this point? You think I answer first? <laughs> Go ahead. I just realized there's a point I would really like to lobby. <laughs> and I've got uh, Dr. Chong here, the right person. I, I think in terms of at least the, the part with regards to our city, and especially the story of Singapore, I think one of our most successful, uh, not just in terms of urban architecture and social kind of infrastructure, must be and will be our public housing. And... and it is integral to almost every Singapore, aspects of every Singaporean's life. I grew up from a, a public housing estate landscape, and these are very special space. And what is almost quite uh, interesting and irony that how our public housing started as very efficient machine just to house uh, our population has over the time grown and emotionally connect many generations of uh, our people. And this idea of time, you cannot buy and manufacture. And I think uh, if you want to talk about an aspects of that, uh, I do think at every uh, injection of new estate, we must keep fabrics of the old. So that uh, I think this is also Jane Jacobs, like one of the uh, four factors of exuberant diversity, that the importance of the historical and the heritage and the fabric uh, in, in terms of space and form is critical in the way we also further celebrate and embrace diversity. Thank you. Yuni? Uh, well, that's a tough question uh, <laughs> in terms of what Chi Huang just shared about public housing. Um, for sure, it's a very important common experience for Singapore and Singaporeans. And um, the question would be whether the experience is encapsulated in particular buildings, uh, building or buildings, uh, or whether it is more a, a shared experience that is more critical, you know, the, the public, public housing as a concept, as a policy. Yeah, so, so that remains to be seen and further debated. Thank you. Uh, I want to pick on this really interesting question from uh, Christopher Gee. And he asked, do you think that the more dynamic environment that we are operating in requires a sort of quicker urban planning cycle? We, uh, certainly in Singapore, we plan for 10 years, 15 years, and it has served us well over the decades as we, we can optimize our land space use over long periods of time. Uh, do you see a need to shorten some of these cycles or implement some other process that allows us to respond to emerging tr uh, trends? Uh, Yuni? Yeah, thanks, Christopher, for the question. Um, just to reassure everyone that things are still happening between the cycles. You know, we are not like 
workshop and go for a holiday between the five-year, 10-year review cycles. There are actively a lot of other ongoing studies and reviews that happen, including like um, master plan for specific precincts or policy reviews of different zonings and uh, guidelines. Um, the, the purpose of instituting the five-year, 10-year master plan and long-term review is to do a very major undertaking, a very major review of the whole plan for Singapore, as well as all the driving forces, you know, the key trends, challenges, etc. So those are meant as much more major reviews, but we are uh, very aware of the kind of operating environment and the dynamic nature of situations. And we are constantly sort of making sure the policies are still relevant and the plans are still relevant. Uh, so so that's, that's how we do it. Because if we had to do that very major review any faster, then it's like we, are, we don't have time to kind of do a PIR of the previous version, take stock, and then do another major undertaking of the overall plan. So it does need uh, some, some time, some distance, to provide that opportunity to do the very major review. Thank you, thank you, Yuni. If you don't mind, uh, there's a question from the floor. So could we get, get a question from the floor? Uh, hello, uh, hi, I'm Kim. I'm from Republic Polytechnic. Uh, thank you for the insightful sharing so far. I would like to ask, how do you balance and meet the needs of uh, dif different needs and requests of the public uh, with uh, context to the various factors such as uh, cost, sustainability measures, and building policies. Shall I start? Should I? Do you want me to oh, start? Okay, you need... Yeah, Chihuang, go ahead. Yeah. Chihuang, why don't you start? Um, I would say, again, I will use the example of uh, our Tampanese Hub as the easiest, probably something that I can personally relate to. to. Uh, again, multiple stakeholders, 12 agencies, 30 over facilities that we are looking at providing, working with uh, the community. Of course, there is a budget in mind. Um, with all these different conflicting needs and requirements, I think uh, Dr. Chong earlier brought a very good uh, idea. I think wise thing, bring everybody or the key representatives together. <clears throat> um, main approach is to set an alignment uh, within the entire stakeholders group. Um, what are key priorities? Again, uh, not just based on individual needs and siloed, but that of the consolidated needs of the bigger group. I think that's where it will help us balance in terms of steps and measures to take prioritize actions. And from there, looks at uh, weighing costs, uh, and I think very important key part, and uh, these aspects of value. I will emphasize a lot more on value creation, because I do think, especially for uh, my sector and industry, it's, the mindset is very cost-driven. Right? But uh, perhaps the discussion and the debate on values is probably not rigorous and robust enough. Yeah, that's my input. Thank you, Shivan. Uh, hey, JJ, uh, I just want to add 
to that to say that uh, sometimes it's also about trying to think beyond current kind of mindsets or, or models. So maybe just tapping on Chi Huang's example of the or Tampanese Hub, you know, uh, many of the agency partners there wanted a ground floor, floor presence. But if you give everybody a ground floor presence, then you don't have much of a ground floor left for any other activities. No? So eventually the agencies kind of innovate to say, hey, let's do a combined service model. So there's an innovation of the way the service is delivered rather than everybody have their little booths on the ground floor and, and take up all the space. Then another quick example is uh, Marina Barrage. You know, in the original iteration, it's very much like your standard utility buildings, if you can imagine a big kind of substation-like kind of building uh, out at the waterfront in Marina Channel. Um, but I, I, we were quite uh, worried that, like, you know, this is not quite the, the thing that we want for the waterfront. You're at a prime waterfront uh, in Marina Bay. This is not the typology that we should be introducing. So again, there was innovation in the way the typology comes together in not just being, uh, you know, the barrage, the pump houses and all that, but also becoming a public space that is open for the community to use. So sometimes it's trying to move beyond the specific needs and requests and even the costs from specific kind of line items, but, you know, bring through and innovating in terms of how that outcome can be delivered in a new way. Thanks. Sure, thank you. Thank you, Yuning and Xu Fang. We are coming towards the end of this uh, session, and I want to take this last five to six minutes to bring our discussion back to what the IPS director talked about this morning, that Singapore occupies a unique space as a city-state, the only functioning city-state in the world today. And as urban planners, as architects, what in your mind is the one greatest advantage of planning or, or developing in a city-state? And what is one key constraint that you face from our unique position? Uh, if I may start, our, our biggest advantage is that uh, we are more or less a single-layer government. There isn't the municipal, you know, the, the very local district and all that. And also given our size, I, I think all different stakeholders are well aware of the constraints that we face, as well as the challenges that we have as a nation. So generally, even as different stakeholders may, may kind of advocate or feel more strongly about certain items, there is quite a good common understanding, a common ground of appreciation of the challenges that we face as a nation. So I think that that's probably one of the biggest advantage for us in uh, planning as a city-state. I, I guess the biggest constraint is always land, land always uh, uh, evergreen challenge for Singapore. And we want to continue to try and find, forge new ways and find new ways of, of optimizing what we have and providing the best environment uh, for everyone but not just this generation, but also safeguarding for the future. Thank you. Yeah, back to you, Gigi. Yeah, uh, so I agree with uh, Yuning on, on her points of the aspects of 
say, advantage, especially on the constraint, more of a physical form. But I'd like to offer maybe the softer aspects of constraint and challenge from the cities, or rather the appreciation of our city-state. Uh, I think the past 50 years, our advantage is obviously we have a physical showcase of Singapore's success, be it from policy, be it from a software, to even the aspects of human and talent wear. And this idea, uh, and it was during the state earlier I shared, just looking at the earlier long-term uh, Land Acquisition Act to how we have evolved in long-term plan review. We know that we are in totally different state in terms of where the city and our people are. But also during our Founding Fathers' days, it was because of this dire, almost, I think Dr. Liu in the pre-session talked about this crisis mentality that trigger a radical and radical thinking and in fact, a lot of urban innovations of how do we translate many of this uh, human, this idea of software into physical form and space. This notion of spatializing it to the city that we are in. So hence, the constraint itself is this very city that we have already created and established. Because I said this will be likely Singapore's measure because with what we've created, the sense of opportunity cost is very high. And hence, uh, our steps forward uh, will not be as radical or as uh, drastic as how we have started when we first conceptualized and built our city. So I think therein lies this constraint in terms of our current space uh, to the way we further imagine and push innovation within our city-state. And I do think uh, a part of this is um, about the, the competition of, of talents that our city-state, because of how it has started, it has triggered and challenged many of these innovation and talents into being. But when you have a state that is that mature, with all the successful and established and very proficient kind of system, structure, and overall form, I think therein lies, uh, I think, this constraint of deeper and perhaps this idea of more audacious uh, innovation in the next phase of our urban transformation. Thank you, Chi Huang. We have a couple of minutes. I, was there a question from the floor a moment ago? Yes, there's a question from the floor. Hello, everyone. I'm Sito from RPE. So my question is actually, um, when it comes down to like, the land, so let's say nature versus the business or uh, anything industrial related, how do you choose then? Do you, do you choose to remove that plot of land for uh, business or do you keep it? Because I understand that government wants to like, move the economy, but the people like, want nature. So what happens then? Yeah, I, I can start. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, I, I think people also want jobs. Uh. Uh, so so in, in planning is really about trying to balance uh, you know, the social economic needs and make sure that Singapore is sustainable for now and the future. So we do try to that's why we do long-term plan in trying to bring together all the different needs that we 
have, and then try to, in some sense, prioritize. So if we have a certain no need for, for businesses, then where are the best places to locate them? In terms of nature and greenery, how do we use a science-based approach to make sure that we are retaining and protecting the most important representative samples uh, of, of Singapore's nature landscape, etc. So there is some measure of trying to balance these different considerations and trying to make the best decisions for all, all the different needs that we have in Singapore. So, so that's how we approach it. So we have come to the end of this session. I would like to thank our two speakers for a very engaging and lively session. And it has given us a lot of thought, a lot to think about in the rest of this day. So please join me in thanking our speakers. Thank you, panel. We'll now take a break for lunch. The next session will begin at 2 p.m. and we look forward to seeing you then. Lunch will be served to you at your seat.